Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. We're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step-based organizations or groups in any way. Today's episode, we're going to be interviewing one of my dear friends, Ron A. And it's, it's an extreme pleasure, you know, sitting here with him right now, uh, the journey, just everything that's taken to get to this point from when we first met to be here sitting right now. You know, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to experience it. And we get experience it through each other today. So I want to welcome Ron to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. And, and it's just it's one of those things, man, where when I through awareness, and I just get to see how God's just been working together in our lives and we cross each other's paths. So me and Ron, we've known each other since 2011. And, you know, we met in 2011. I was at Crossroads Arcadia um, coming off a, a, a bad relapse. My wife was pregnant. I went to Crossroads. I did a 16-day right track program. And, you know, after the 16 days, I was able to get a job. And if you've listened to any previous episodes, the main characteristics of my disease, the alcoholic mentality is lie, cheat, manipulate, and steal. And so I'm an amazing telemarketer, right? And, uh, they let me get a job. I ask where the phone closest phone room is, and they tell me it's a mile down the street. And I walk into this phone room and I meet Ron. And uh, you know, when we've developed a friendship, man, that's lifelong, and we're family today, man. And uh, I remember walking into that phone room, and we're selling home-based business opportunities. I could feel the energy in there, um, and I meet him. So, Ron, why don't you share for us, you know, what that was like and how we first met? Sure. Um, the first thing I want to say is I I need to get this out that it's just absolutely unbelievable. And the word gratitude, I say this all the time. I wish I could find a better word just sitting here with you right now and uh, being part of your life and, and being part of your family's life is, is so important to me. And, and uh, I'm just very grateful. And so, so how I meet Jason is, you know, as, as well as Jason, I'm a pretty good liar. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a really good telemarketer. Um, I, I mean, used, we're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. We're I mean, I used to think I was the best until I met Jason, and that's a hard thing for me to admit. Well, thank um, you. So here I am working at this phone room. I had just got promoted to general manager, and um, I was on the sales floor prior to that, and I was and I was producing X amount of deals uh, as a closing manager. And um, they promote me to general manager. I get a little office, and uh, I'm in the office. And I have my head in between my hands and I was talking to the girl I was with at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I need to find 15 deals. I, Cause you know, I, I have to find those deals that I'm not going to be producing anymore. As I say that I hear, Hey, did you get my email? And I look out the little window in my office and I see Jason, which I didn't even know his name yet. <laughs> he's standing there and he's talking to people on the phone. He didn't know what he was selling. He didn't know what he was really uh, what the what the price point was he was just talking to people on the phone and i knew immediately when i heard his voice i knew that was that was the 15 deals and and from there from there him and i had become friends um we sat down we he, he listened to me uh, attempt to close somebody it was this marathon close and he got to hear every one of my bullets and it ended in the guy hanging up the phone but what it did was Jason got the meat of it and from there uh, launched uh, the Ron and Jason show. And <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I remember that. And uh, 
you know, because, you know, we were cold calling people and I would tell them, hey, did you get my email? And I never sent them an email, but they would say, you know, well, great. You know, I don't check my email either, but I got you on the phone now and I heard you want to make some extra money from home. And that was like just something that came to me was my opening. And when Ron heard that, he came out and he jumped on one of the first, uh, you know, prospective buyers that I had on the phone. And I'm talking about an hour and a half. He's sitting up. He's standing down. He took his shirt off. He's wearing his white beater. He's sweating. He's hitting this dude with everything he's got. I think he's even shadow boxing as he's, uh, you know, getting ready to close this guy. And we get all the way to the credit card. And he gives us the beginning of the credit card. And he hangs up. And I remember that because I took notes the whole way through. I had about four pages of notes. I continued to use those notes until I actually knew what I was doing and what I was talking about. And from there, man, it just developed into friendship and a brotherhood and family and just so much more. Um, and the story is nuts and the insanity of, of me and him in active addiction together running a business, which we'll come back to later. Uh, but, you know, everybody has a journey, right? And they have a journey of recovery. They have a journey of addiction. You know, we both sponsor a ton of men and we try to meet them where they're at along their journey and give everyone the dignity to take their own journey. But Ron's journey starts somewhere, too, just like mine did. So you're from Rochester, New York. Shout out Rochester, New York. Um, you're a Mets fan. Yankees fan. Uh, he's wearing a Yankees <laughs> yeah. hat and a Yankees shirt. I'm messing with him. He's a Yankees fan. And uh, so you're from Rochester, New York. And why don't you share a little bit about Ro what Rochester was like growing up in Rochester, the family dynamic. And just a little bit about your story growing up. What was that like for you? You know, uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm from an Italian kid from uh, Western upstate New York, you know, and, and uh, my, my grandpa and grandma were pretty proud people. And, you know, they had, uh, they had three kids and out of those three kids, um, they produced nine grandchildren. Um, I'm the oldest and I'm the only boy. Mm. So that's pretty important, right? Because, uh, to carry on the last name. Um, so at a very young age, you know, my grandfather, you know, my grandpa and grandma loved all their grandchildren. My grandpa, when I was little, he, he treated me a little different because I was the boy. Sure. Um, Namesake. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, my, my mom and dad, you know, my, my dad is a lifelong drummer. He's a rock and roll drummer, man. He, he's, he's, he's been playing drums my whole entire life. My mom was a beautiful nursing student. Uh, you know, they meet and they have me and and uh, it doesn't work out, right? So um, my, my mom and dad separated at a very young age. And uh, I remember that, you know, at three years old, I remember. I remember sure. the day, the day uh, my dad left, right? Because, you know, uh, they just didn't get along. And uh, they just figured it was better for the whole situation. So at a very young age, that happened. Um, and there's something I want to touch on to for everybody listening, you know, uh, man and woman, it doesn't matter. Um, I would be naive to sit here and, and, and tell you that I don't believe trauma is a part of everybody's story in some capacity. Everybody has some, some things that happened in their life. And at a very young age, I had some stuff happen in my life, some, some life-changing events, some trauma. The important thing is this. If you're sitting there and you had something happen to you when you were young, or even when you were older, I'm here to tell you it wasn't your fault. Bad people do bad things to good people. It's the only explanation I have for it. And what I'm here to tell you, and, and Jason is as well, is you matter. 
you matter to me, you matter to him, you matter to a whole slew of people in this in this beautiful recovery program that we're all part of. Um, and know that you matter and know that what happened to you wasn't your fault. But for me, I realized that what happened to me when I was younger wasn't my fault. What was my fault was using that for the rest of my life to treat people any way I wanted. You know what I mean, Jason? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know exactly what you mean. And, you know, we all experience some type of trauma. And a lot of times that trauma we carry and, you know, it, you know, the program talks about being victims of our delusion, right? The, and we have to blame other people. We have to be sneaky. We have to be, um, you know, we have to do those things because it continues to allow us to continue our negative behavior. Because if it's Ron's fault, then I can continue to do what I want to do because it's not my fault. Sure. And we all experience some form of trauma. You know, we really get to treat that trauma for the first time for a lot of us. Uh, you know, we treat that trauma um, in a four step, man. And, and that's how we really start to understand it. But there's a lot of kids that grow up with trauma that don't end up doing multiple prison sentences. You know, I came from a great childhood, minimal, minimal trauma, right? Extremely minimal, but I still ended up the way that I ended up and had to go through the things that I had to go through. My journey looks like, you know, what it was, but this trauma, man, it affected you, right? Sure. And so what it looked like, um, you know, going from there, experiencing trauma at a young age, um, ultimately leading you into high school and, 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 and what was that like for you? So share a little bit about high school, um, you know, when you first started using drugs um, and what that looked like. Okay. Well, you know, for me growing up, so I had, I had my, my dad and my stepmom and that entire side of the family. And then I had my mom had remarried and I had my mom and my stepdad and then ended up having a brother. Um, and, uh, it was this, uh, this big competition between everybody, you know, everybody was overcompensating, right? Everybody was trying to, to, to outdo one another, maybe not consciously, but maybe subconsciously, you know, my, you know, don't get me wrong. My, my mom and dad, um, gave me a great life when I was a kid. Um, but as I got older, I started experiencing when I got into, uh, my freshman year of high school is when I started going to the keggers and I started getting invited to those things because I was an athlete. So I started hanging out with the older guys and uh, started experimenting with marijuana and alcohol. And just like the big book talks about men and women essentially use because they like the effect produced. I loved what alcohol did to me. I loved mm -hmm. what marijuana did to me. <clears throat> it, it allowed me to be able to, to not be who I was because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Sure. You know, I'm an Italian kid, 5'11", 200 and something pounds. And I wanted to have blonde hair and blue eyes and be 6'4". And when I drank, I was. Um, I was the life of the party. I was the guy that would do the crazy stuff. You know, uh, you know, you know that commercial, hey, get Mikey, he'll eat it. It was, hey, get Ron, he'll do it. And sure. And we, you know, we see, you know, that's a very, you know, part of my story too, man. I seek validation through others. Sure. I want you to like me so bad. I'll compromise my values, my morals, my beliefs, just because I want you to like me. I seek that validation through others, man. And I think it's very common um, in addiction, man, in, in the journey of recovery, the validation, it's getting comfortable in your own skin and loving yourself. And the only way you can love anyone else is till you love yourself, man. And, and it, it's so critical to really find that true happiness with who you are. When you look in the mirror and you like what you see, you don't want to change the way you feel. And we always talk about me and you. We talk about 
I like the effects produced by drug and alcohol, and I still like the effects produced right now. There, that There's no denying that. But what I like more is the effects produced by my higher power, by God. When I experience spirituality and God, like right now, I'm having a spiritual experience sitting here with you right now after everything we've been through. Sure. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. That effect, the effect I feel right now, I like far greater than any effects produced by drugs and alcohol. So you start using, and, you know, smoking weed and drinking. I think it's the natural thing for a lot of people to start there. You know, we say it's the gateway drug and the progression. So you wrestled in high school. I bet that was a sight to see 200 pounds in a Speedo. Yeah. How'd yeah. that work out? Well, well you know, because I've, I've always been, um, I look like a penguin because I got these, I've always had these love handles and these really short Italian arms and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm shaped like a penguin, but I was, you know, I was decent, you know, but I put in minimal effort. The story of my life is this. I put in minimal effort into everything I do because I could get by just on charisma. Mm -hmm. I could get by just on uh, winging it. I was really good at winging it. And now I sit back and I think about, I don't regret that time, but I think about what if I really would have applied myself? Sure. What if I really would have took a book home and studied? What so if you, I you probably heard that word potential quite often? Oh my God. My mom, mom, you're going to hear this. She listens to all my episodes. She's a supporter. Potential, man. I used to hate that word because potential. she was right. They're yeah. right. We don't apply ourselves. No. And then I have false beliefs that I can't do these things, but I, the facts are is I never tried to do any of them. So you wrestled in high school yeah. and you know, what else, what else happened in high school? You know, you so, experienced some consequences. What's right, that? Look I, like? I, I started getting into some legal trouble. So, so right when I was graduating high school, I'm at a party and I ended up getting in a fight and I hurt this guy hmm. and uh, I get charged with some, my, my first set of felonies. Hmm. And um, at this point, my mother was worn out. My mom and my stepdad were worn out um, from, from trying to, trying to redirect me. And, and, uh, so they called my dad. Um, at uh -oh. the, yeah. Um, at uh -oh. this point I was, my dad was getting me every other weekend. He had visitation, right? So I was going there, um, every other weekend with him, but now they call my dad in. And, um, <clears throat> so here we are, we're in the courthouse and basically the judge is telling my father what I did to this guy and my dad kind of chuckled a little bit, um, hmm. you know, because I don't think my dad understood at that time the magnitude of my alcohol and drug problem. Because at that point, I wasn't drinking anymore just to have fun. I was drinking to uh, to escape, to escape because sure. I couldn't face I couldn't face people because I figured I, I knew sooner or later you were going to figure me out. Sure. That really I was just always in fear and I was scared. So what ended up happening was. They made a deal and they said, if I go live with my father, um, they'll drop the charges, but I can't come back to the town I grew up in. So I got kicked out of a town. You got kicked out of Rochester? Well, I got kicked out of, I grew up in Palmyra. So I got right kicked outside. out of, yeah, wow. outside of Rochester. And then uh, I got implanted into Greece, New York, where my dad lived at the time. And that just got me closer to the action. You sure. Know? So... That's For, a pretty fitting name, Greece, uh, yeah. New York. Yeah, Greece. And we're Italians, both of yeah. us, and yeah. we're greasy. And that's where all the, yeah, and that's where all the Italians live. I mean, I'm sweating Greece. right now. Yeah, me too. I got a sweat mustache right now. <laughs> I'm always sweating. Yeah. We're greasy. We're Italians. For sure. Okay, so you move to Greece, New York. You got to get kicked out. You move in with your dad. And, and to 
to be quite honest, the case you caught was a pretty serious case. We're talking about juvenile cases. You know, when we talk about addiction, man, there's one major thing that sticks out. Continued use despite negative consequences. Normal people, when they catch a case, when they're a juvenile in a serious case, they're like, holy shit, I got to back this thing up. I don't want to go down this road to us. We're just getting warmed up. Sure. And you were just getting warmed up, weren't you? Just getting warmed up. You know, and, and, and not every time... I drank or used, I got in trouble. See, this was the this is the 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 catch to it where my mind tells me I don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Not every time I got loaded did I get in trouble. But every time I got in trouble, I was loaded. Oh yeah, I like that. You know, Very for good. sure. So gradually, you know, I I I I I move out there with my dad. Uh they get me in a in a in a in a treatment program. I have an uncle at the time who's big in AA. Um, so they're dragging me around AA meetings. They're sitting me down. They're going, you're going to sit here and you're going to listen and you're going to, that guy's going to sponsor you. And, and at 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, I didn't think I was like everybody else. Sure I just, I'm unique. Yeah. I'm, I'm unique. I'm just doing what everybody my age does. I really don't have a problem. And then somewhere along the line, um, I found crack cocaine. Uh Oh, hold up. Man, you're talking uh, in the business, we like to call that a game changer. Yeah, it is a game changer. It changed everything. And 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 for me, I was a binge, I was a binge crack cocaine user. Um, so what I would do is I would I would get a bunch of money together and then I would disappear. And I would be in in the darkest, deepest parts of Rochester, New York, smoking crack in these crack houses, and then I would just destroy everything. Um, lose the trust of family and friends, and then I would surface uh, remorseful. Mm, yeah, sure. I'm never going to do it again. Uh-huh. I just need your help this time. Sure. So they would get me into a get me into a treatment center or a detox, which they only keep you for a few hours because of crack. And um, so you worked th- the same type of program that I worked. Step one: powerless and unmanageable. Can't land my way out of this. The writing's on the wall. Sure. Right to step nine. I'm sorry. Please help. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, and along the way, not being able to tell the truth from the false, because I've told so many lies at this point. It's hard to keep up. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to know what's real and what's not. And then you mix in the being up for days, smoking crack and drinking alcohol. Um, a little hazy. It's a little hazy. It's a little hazy. Things just blur into each other. And, you know, along the way in this journey, um, I make three children, three mm-hmm. and, uh, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I was a responsible uh, father, um, but I wasn't. I was a I was a coward, you know. I I I took the took the easy way out, and I left that out that responsibility and that obligation to the women who had them children and their families, and that was a vicious cycle for me because deep down in my heart, I loved I loved my children. Mm-hmm. But the longer I was away, the harder it was to come back sure. because I would just create one problem after another and another and the mountain and the obstacle. And it's just that vicious cycle that we talk about so much. Jay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And so, you know, love is, you know, it, love is an action word, man. It took me a long time to figure that out. 
And anyone who's in addiction in the midst of the height, like the full on run of addiction, if we ask any, if I ask anybody, do you love your kids? Do you love your mom? Do you love your wife? Do you love your girlfriend? Do you love your brother? Do you, and you're going to say with everything that you mean that you're going to say, yes, I absolutely do. And I'm not denying the fact that you mean that because you do. But the problem is, is loves and action words and your actions are reflecting something totally different. So when you emerge remorseful after a run or after a spree, you feel all that shit again. We don't like the way that feels. So what do we do? We go back to drugs and alcohol. And one thing you said, it reminded me of something. The lies, dude. I Man, it was exhausting to keep up with them. My mom, bless her heart, she loves me so much. My mom is the question master. So she's going to ask me a question. What happened with that job? What'd you do with that? How's school going? I mean, I had to be on top of my game with all the questions my mom was asking me. I mean, off the chain. So you go on that run, you make three kids and, you know, I've known you for a long time, man. I know your story and you caught a serious, serious case. I did, I, tell, I, you want to talk a little bit about that? I, I, I will. Um, I just want to back up real go quick and, and, and touch on the mom thing because it's really important, you know. Um, me and my father were buddies. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we're, we were buddies back then. We're still buddies now. He's a, he's a, he's a good friend and. And, and in our relationship, our dynamic was different. You know, um, my mom, see, my mom wasn't the question master. My mom was the human lie detector. <laughs> my mother could sniff out a lie by just looking at my face. I wouldn't even have to say a word. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. No, they I got a mom like that, that too. Yeah. And my, my mother's mantra for me for a very long time was, you have to stop lying. You know, um, she doesn't know the dy- didn't know the dynamic of drug and alcohol addiction and the allergy and the obsession and all the stuff that we that that, that we work on. All she knew was that I wasn't honest, and she begged me and she begged me that I had to get honest and I had to find God. And um, that's one thing that that we have an understanding today of a relationship with my mother. It's a miracle. And, yeah, and. She just instills in me that no matter what, tell me the truth and tell everybody the truth because that's the that's important and it is important. Um, for me, I, I I have to be honest in all my affairs, right? That's what they talk about not sure. not in some of my affairs, not when it suits me. <laughs> you know, even the hard part, Jane, is I know you can relate to this. It's tough to tell somebody the truth when you know it's going to hurt them. Sure, you know. Sure. It, it's it, it's tough. It's it's a different way to live nowadays because I wouldn't hesitate in the past to tell a lie. And I would justify it and say, I don't want to hurt this person. Sure. But really, I don't want that person to get mad at me. Sure. I don't want to let him down. So you're talking about the the escalation of the trouble for me. So it's it, it's in and out of jail for some minimal things, you know, uh, petty theft, stuff like that. And then uh, and then I get involved in uh, I get involved in this uh, this bad event that happens one evening. Let's just leave yeah, it. Yeah, well, it's definitely a bad event. A bad event. Somebody had lost their life. Yeah. Um, I was I was I was smack dab in the middle of it. Sure. Um, all fingers were pointing pointing towards me. It looked uh, it, it looked pretty bleak. Um, anyhow, that the the moral of the story was it was it was, it was a crime I didn't commit that I didn't do. And um, I ended up getting through that situation. But during that whole time when, when, you know, this thing was on the news and it was a big deal, everybody looked at me as I was the person who did this. And for me, 
that just fueled me to get loaded even more to forget because I used to say I got some forgetting to do. Mm-hmm. I remember going to these crack houses and opening up the the, the little seal crack bags mm-hmm. and telling the dude sitting across from me, uh, I would throw him a rock and I'd go, I have some forgetting to do right now. And I would hit the pipe yeah. and, and, and forget about all the stuff that was going on. So I go through that situation and, and um, when that situation is over, it, it took basically a half a year. And when the situation was over, I made a lot of promises that whole time in jail that I wasn't going to use anymore. God, you, you know, I had oh, that yeah. God on speed down. Uh-huh. We always do that. <laughs> God, get me out of this one. If you uh, get me please. out of this one, this is what I'm going to do. Oh yeah. Um, And obviously uh, Jay knows what happens next is immediately when I'm released and uh, I'm cleared of everything. Uh, I immediately go to the nearest crack house and start smoking sure. crack and drinking old E mm-hmm. and, and uh, all those promises were off the table. Um, it wasn't shortly after that when my aunt, God bless my aunt. My aunt is a tough cookie. My aunt, shout out to Aunt Lou. Shout out Aunt Lou. Aunt Lou. Uh-huh. Um, aunt Lou put me on a bus. She gave me 50 bucks and uh, two dozen chicken wings. Oh, the chicken wings? Chicken wings. What flavor? Man, they were just, uh, they were just, you know, Buffalo style mild. You know what I mean? Um, but I think I saw you ranch or blue cheese guy. Just, just side. I'm from New York. Blue cheese. Oh, blue cheese. We don't okay. put ranch. In. Okay. Ranch is for salad. <laughs> ranch isn't for food. Don't guys. tell my daughter that, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so that's when my journey started. Oh, I got to back up a little bit. So, so my dad, my father, um, gets into drugs mm. late in life, and somehow we cross paths. And this whole time, you know, he was beating his head against the wall with my drug addiction and he got turned on to the same drug that I was on. Mm. So all of a sudden here we are father and son. And now we're experiencing some things that father and son probably shouldn't experience, but we're, we're, we're deep in it together. Um, He ends up going to treatment. I go to treatment. Our family is just shook. They don't know what to do. They're they're confused. They're hurt. Um, They want to see the best for both of us. And they ship my dad to Arizona and they ship me to a halfway house. I've been to many times before in the heart of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't work out very well. I just want to make things clear. When you come back to a halfway house multiple times, treatments multiple times, that doesn't make you an old timer. No. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> that doesn't make you an old timer, brother. And, and that's the problem is <laughs> at a very young age, I started going to treatment centers and I pay attention. So um, right away, you know, it's information, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have the information. Self-knowledge. I, I, I'm going to be able to manage better this time. All I got to do is be a better dad. All I have to do is be a better employee. I just have to work harder. Um, and if I do all these things, well, it, you know, my, my problems weren't of my own making. My problems were because you didn't allow me to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Because like in the actor scenario, if they would only stay Classic. put, if, if people, if my boss would just understand I'm leaving early on Friday, I'm not coming in Monday. Uh-huh. If my wife understood that on Fridays, I'm not coming home till Sunday night and I'm not going to have any money. Don't ask questions. Yeah, Don't ask questions because they always ask the silly question, right? What happened? Anybody ask you that question, Jay? Oh, after I've heard, I've heard, yeah. What happened? <laughs> you don't want to know. Man, and, and I would. You never believe what happened. You never believe what happened. <laughs> and I would make up and tell all these crazy these crazy stories of what happened, but truly what it was, I didn't know what happened because right. at that point I didn't, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the book talk about, about 
it didn't satisfy us to be told that we were just uh, mental defectives, that we were in full flight from reality. Sure. It didn't satisfy me. You know, I, I, okay, I'm just a screw up. Okay. And, and, and that's what I rolled with for a long time. So my dad's in Arizona. I'm in New York. Um, I go on a bender. I end up in the, in the hospital because my thing was being in New York, uh, especially in the wintertime, you know, you can't stay outside too long. No. So uh, when I'm out there running and gunning, you know, you, you had those countless vain attempts that I want to harm myself. Cause all you got to say is you want to kill yourself and they, they lock you, you up got, for three days. Yeah, you, you got, got some place warm. It's warm. You got a place to stay in some food. And I'm in this mental hospital and somehow I got a hold of my dad in Arizona and my dad was, my dad was very desperate. He tells the story that he wanted to see me. He wanted to see me before I died. So he got together what little money he had and bought me uh, a bus ticket to Arizona with my aunt. So you get a bus ticket and now your dad's in Arizona. He wants to see you. He's not doing well. And you start that trip. You hop on a bus and you head out to Arizona. And that's a whole nother adventure. So you're on your way out to Arizona. So what happens when you touch down in Arizona? What's that look like? So first of all, I I thought I landed on Mars. <laughs> you know, um, I get here to Arizona. I, I, I get here and um, I get off the bus and I'm wearing a, a black sweatsuit and a black hoodie. And it's the middle of August. Well, you're Italian, so we wear yeah, sweatsuits. Sure. Yeah. And I get here and... Um, for some of you, some of you people that are listening that are from Arizona, you may have heard of this halfway house. It was called House Incorporated. And it was in Mesa, Arizona. <clears throat> and there was a guy that ran that place. His name was Rick Kramer. And uh, God rest his soul, he's gone now. But he had made a deal with my dad because my dad was prospering out here. He was rebuilding his life. And like from, from the ground up, you know, he was riding a bicycle around to work and, and just making it happen, staying sober, going to meetings. And um, they had made a deal uh, with my dad that I could come to the same halfway house corporation because they had a bunch of different houses. So we didn't have to be housed in the same place. But they told my dad that he couldn't help me. Really? Yeah. He said he's got to stand on his own two feet. So it starts, I, I land in Arizona. It's a hundred and some degrees. I got a black sweatsuit on. I'm like, wow, I'm detoxing. You know, I get in this guy Rick's truck and I was scared to tell them when the last time I used because I didn't think they would let me in the house. So I had lied to him because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. I lie. Um, and he knew right away and he pulls the truck over and I'll never forget. He, he was from New York as well. And he looks at me and he says, Mr. Alessi, Mr. Alessi with his raspy <laughs> voice. And he says, I promise you a life beyond your wildest dreams if you apply yourself and you get involved in this program. And I listened to what he said. And, you know, I had been exposed to AA before and I had been around, but I had already, always been forced, you know, and and I was younger and, and, and I just didn't think none of that stuff applied to me. Um, and what happened was, man, I started going to meetings and it was part of the requirement to be in the halfway house sure. was to get a sponsor. Sure. So I got a sponsor and that sponsor had a sponsor that had a sponsor that had a working knowledge of the book. That's how it works. Right. And they took me and, and he took me through the steps and I'll never forget when he took me through the steps, he shared his four step with me as well, because all those things that I, 
that I thought that made you unique. Uh, right. That made right. me unique that I never wanted anybody to really truly know about me. I would gloss over them. Um, and, and, you know, I, I didn't do a thorough four step back then, but I did a, I did a four step and I was in the process. Um, and what happened was, man, I, I, I got involved in this deal and I, and I got sober and I got involved in the middle of it and I got a service commitment and I started sponsoring guys and some really cool things started to happen in my life. I became a halfway house manager. Uh-huh. I reached the pinnacle. Big dog. Big dog. Uh huh. You know, cause when you're a halfway house manager, what chick doesn't want to be with a high shout out house to man? the halfway house manager <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. for real, for real. So, you know, here I am. And so hold on, hold on, hold on. I mean, cause... so you were 13 stepping, man. So let me tell you a little something about it. this is going <laughs> to, yeah, you... I, I want to hear this. Okay. So, so my thing was this, you know, I, I get sober and then, you know, the ego rebuilds itself. And then I, I have to touch on this and then I'll get on the 13 step stuff. You know, I, I started to write parts that I thought they left out of the big book. <laughs> and I actually was going to send it into world services and suggest to them that they added it into the you next mi- you edition. Missed something. Yeah. 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 They missed some stuff. <laughs> and they needed to put my story in there for one. Yeah. It needed to be in between Bill and Dr. Bob's nightmare. Somewhere sure, right after Dr. Bob's nightmare, there's 42 personal stories. I sure. think you should have 43. I deserve to be in there. Well, no, I wanted to be in the first 164 pages. Oh, the first 164. Yeah. Yeah. They, they missed it, but that's okay. <laughs> I forgive them. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, that's that's what my mind you know because i had never i never experienced the freedom i had experienced you know and my story was that feel-good story i was the guy that got off the bus with 11 cents in his pocket Mm -hmm. and i stayed sober and i got involved and and uh some really cool things started to happen to me but i started doing some things that weren't so honest you know i'll never forget sitting in my sponsor's house and uh i'm gonna talk about the 13 step stuff so my deal was I would go into meetings and I would look at all the girls' feet. Mm-hmm. And because you got a foot fetish? No, I wanted to see if their sneakers were dirty or not. Oh. Dirty sneakers. Because if their sneakers were still dirty, well, they didn't have self-esteem and they'd probably go out. <laughs> but if but if they were but if they were together, they weren't gonna go out with me. And that's and that's pretty sad to say that because that's what my mind told me, right? So here I am and 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 I remember I'm dating a bunch of women in the program and, you know, I'm being honest with them. I'm, I'm telling them, you know, I'm, I'm single guy in AA and I'm being honest with these four or five different women uh-huh. I'm seeing. And I'll never forget Saturday. I'm at my sponsor's house. We're on the back patio. We're smoking cigars. And he brings up the fact that he's seen me at this meeting on Friday night with this girl. And then I seen you Saturday night and you were with this girl and he, went down the list and he said, well, how's that working out for you? This is working out great. Yeah, it's pretty good. As a matter of fact, I said, yeah, I'm being honest. Yeah. He goes, you are. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm being honest. I I'm, I'm telling, you know, I'm, I'm not committed to one person. They know about each other. I tell them and he stops me. And he said, Ron, I'm worried about you. I said, what are you worried for, man? I'm, I'm coming up on, a, you know, two years sober. I got halfway house guy you know at this point i'm invested in some halfway houses and mm-hmm. and um he said ron just because you tell me you're a horse thief and then you steal my horses it doesn't make it okay <laughs> and i remember when he said that to me i was mad at him sure because he was right but that hit me somewhere where i didn't want to be hit and eventually what happens from that jay is i end up getting loaded again Get loaded again. And just for everyone, when we talk about 13 step, the program is 12 steps. 
And there's the 13th step. It's when you use meetings and the fellowship to pick up on women. And really, 13th step is the reason they call it 13th or step. Men. Or, men. or men. Or men. I mean, shit gets weird sometimes. Yeah. Shit gets weird. Well, there's some chicks out there 13 step too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Let's not get it twisted. The no. chicks 13 step too. Happens. And it's step one plus step 12. Let me share my <laughs> unmanageable life with you. Yeah. 13. Insanity. Insanity. And that's what it is. And so ultimately, man, when the ego creeps back in, when we're doing things we're not supposed to do, when we're living in character defect, when we're taking back the wheel and we're living in self-will, and that self-will starts to overpower the time that we spend living in God's will out th throughout the day, we start to look in the mirror and we don't like what we see anymore because ultimately all we gain through recovery is awareness. When we're aware, we're responsible. We know better now. And so knowing better and continuing that negative behavior, we start to feel poorly. And what we end up doing is we end up going back to drugs and alcohol because it works. Don't think, don't feel, don't care. So you end up relapsing. And what happened then? So, you know, going, you know, touching on what you just said, you know, going back for me, going back to the effect produced. So here I am, everything I had built up in them two years, in five days was gone. Gone. It was gone, and I was immediately working on uh, catching a catching a case out here in Arizona. Oh and, yeah. And it wasn't long before I went on a high speed chase. Oh. It was on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I went on a high speed chase. It, they broke into the soup. For any of you remember, it was the it was the, uh, I can't remember. I don't know, it, was, it was actually, it wasn't Super Bowl Sunday. It was a playoff game. It was the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Wait, 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 wait. You're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan from New York. That doesn't check out. Yeah, right? well. Uh, suspect. Well, That's some shady shit right My there. entire family are Buffalo Bills fans. Thank you. So, shout out to the Bills yeah. fans. Bills Mafia, shout out. Bills Mafia. Aunt Lou, big Bills fan. Yeah, Mom, Lou. big Bills fan. <laughs> okay. But, um, so, I go on this high-speed chase. And I get a DUI and I get theftamines and all this stuff. Uh oh. And I get, I catch my number. Uh oh. And I get introduced to um, the Arizona Department of Corrections um, and the whole jail system out here. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but what I want to share this. I want to share that when I relapsed, I had all these people in the program that loved me and cared about me very much. And like when I relapsed and I disappeared for those five days, People didn't think that I relapsed. They thought something happened to me. Sure. You know, because um, nobody had ever experienced the Ron Alessi who who used and disappeared and hid. Um, it, it didn't even register in their brain that that's what happened. But once it did, all these men were reaching out to me. And I remember the feeling I had, Jay, that I thought I had missed my opportunity, right? Sure. I, I, I thought that God gave me this one opportunity to get sober. And I messed it up. And uh, I had a couple of vain attempts to get sober before I went to prison. And I would go to a meeting. And it just wasn't the same anymore for me. And um, it just fueled more crack, cocaine use, more drinking. Um, and at this point, I catch my case and I go to prison. So but before I go to prison, I'm in county jail. Now, you guys are crazy out here with this whole how, how you guys do jail. First of all, I can't believe how many white people are incarcerated. Because where I'm from, it's the role reversal. Yeah. So here I am, and I and I, I go to the Maricopa County Jail for the first time. Are we talking Durango, brother? No, we're talking Estrella when it was oh, maxed before the women. Yeah, yeah, You're that yeah. triple OG type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So I go in there, and here I am, and I'm waiting for the for the officer to tell me where I got to go. Uh -huh. And I got my mat. I got my pink sheets. Um, wearing pink boxers. I, I, just, uh -huh. I got this Labmo bag that they say I have to 
this is what I'm going to eat for the next 24 hours. This is some peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> I'm like, this is unbelievable. So as I'm standing there, these four young white kids, they grab my mat and they start making my mattress. Well, I reach and I pull the mat away from them and they look at me and they pull it back and they start making it again. So this tug of war is happening now. Uh-huh. So finally I pull the, I pull the mat back to me and, uh, and I say, Hey man, Hey dude, listen, bro, this is how we do it around here. And I said, Hey, check this out where I come from. If somebody's making your bed, they want to get in. <laughs> they want to get in that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not letting these dudes welcome me and give me cookies and, you know, you ain't eating the payday, brother. No, okay. I'm, 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 I'm not with it. And because this, this experience was all new to me out here, so that was my first introduction to, to the, the prison politics and the jail politics of how they do things out here. And uh, shortly after that, I get shipped off to DOC and I get my number. And from 2004 to to 2009, um, I do two sentences. You know, yeah. So. So I do these two sentences, you know, I do a couple little skitter bids, they like to call them, you know, I do a, I do a three and a half and, a, and a, another three and a half and I get out and I, I get out in 2009. And this is where for me in 2009, um, I have a friend that I had met when I was in county jail. Uh, he was from Boston and when we were in county jail. He used to talk about this telemarketing thing. Uh oh. He used to talk about biz ops. Oh, no. And I just used to let him rant and rave about it, you know. And and um, when I was at the end of my sentence in 2009, I get a letter from him. He says, bro, I finally found you. And he's sending me pictures of him in Vegas with with, with, with all this money and driving BMWs. And he put like a few hundred dollars on my books. And he said, I'm going to be there to pick you up. And he picks me up and he introduces me to the telemarketing world. Mm. So that's my first introduction to that. Um, right away, I fall in love. Because, you know, I, I remember walking in this phone room and for any of you people who've worked in a call center before, I remember walking in and it was a pretty big call center. There was about 30, 35 people in there and they're all talking at one time. And when you have 35 people talking, it makes this humming sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm watching people going, whoa, they're yelling every time a deal gets made and they're writing these numbers up on the on the board. And I remember looking at these at this person's name. And after his name, it said 2000. And I remember asking my friend, what is that 2000? And he said, that's his paycheck. And it was a Wednesday. Uh-oh. Um, People don't understand. Like, you know, it's hard to explain the that industry and the type of money unless you've experienced it, unless you've seen it. You never believe it, no. you know. And we worship all kinds of things. And especially we worship money. True. And, and it's, you know, women and money, the biggest triggers, you know, what are you going to do when you have money? What are you going to do when you don't have money? And then you get in love and you find a relationship and you got a new higher power now. And all of a sudden now it's codependency at its finest. And so you find the telemarketing game and, and what's that experience like for you? Well, for me, it's, you know, it, and you touched on it. For me, I was filling a hole, right? Sure. The, the hole that we fill with sex, the hole we fill with drugs, the whole, uh, now I can fill it with this money, you know what I mean? And, and, and right away I get pretty good at it. Um, cause again, I'm a good liar. Uh-huh. So I get really good at it. Uh, but, but the problem is I'm the guy who I'm still a crackhead at this point. <laughs> so I get a, I get a 2000, $3,000 paycheck on a Friday. I'm getting all the accolades. Um, I win all the spiffs in the room. I got a brand new laptop. I got brand new phones, all this cool stuff I'm winning. 
And then Friday, I got to go back to the halfway house. I got this big pocket full of money. And I always ended up down on Van Buren smoking crack. Shout out to Van Buren. Van Buren. Uh-huh. There's a Van Buren in every city. There is. Where I'm from, it's Lake and Lyle. Lake and Lyle. Lake and Lyle. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, and, and for me, that vicious cycle would continue. And you know that things are bad when, you know, I would go on these binges and then I would come off the binge and the people who were running these phone rooms were involved in the recovery community. And that's the insanity That's the of crazy it. part of it, They're right? all in recovery and we're, and we're lying, cheating, and stealing, but you work a program of recovery. And I never understood that. And I still yeah. can't today. And to me, you're not working your program when you do that. You're just not. Right. And, and you know, you know you've reached the pinnacle when I got blackballed from the phone room. Like it got so. You, the, hold on, you got kicked out of Rochester. You pretty yeah. much got kicked out of New York, and now you're getting kicked out of the telemarketing rooms. I, I am. They 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 said in good conscience they couldn't keep letting me come back to this room, and then for them to be giving me these huge checks to go kill myself. Mm. So you know they had some kind of morals at that uh, point. Okay, you know, you know right. the guilt, the shame, the remorse. Uh-huh. But so I end up violating. I end up violating my parole, um, and I go back to prison. And in 2010, I kill my number. So I'm finally off paper here in Arizona. That's and, a miracle. Yeah. I'm, I'm off paper for a brief moment. And remember, I, I took off from Rochester and I left all my responsibilities back there. When they put me in that bus and sent me out here, you know, the kids, the, the women, the parents, the, all the people that I had that I had uh, done harm to. I just left them all my dust and I came out here to Arizona. And that was part of the reason that I got loaded again, because I didn't deal with that stuff and work in the steps. I got sidetracked. I didn't make those amends. I didn't try to repair those relationships because I was just happy that I wasn't getting loaded. Sure. Had relief mm-hmm. with a little taste of recovery splashed in there. So in 2010, I go back to New York and um, I'm in New York and right away, Um, I have to step up and, and my 15 year old, she was 14, getting ready to turn 15. Um, her mom was experiencing some difficulties at, at, at that time. Why wouldn't she be? I left her holding the bag with a, you know, when I left, she had a toddler. Mm -hmm. Um, so I get this 14 year old girl and I have to, I have to hustle and get an apartment really quick. And I'm fresh out of prison. I take the Greyhound. My dad and my and my cousin pick me up. And um, I call in a favor to some people out here in Arizona. And I start doing telemarketing. They're like, hey, we'll set you up in an apartment. Uh-huh. But you just do telemarketing from New York. So I get this kid. And 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 I have no idea how to raise a, raise a kid. I can't even take care of myself. And within six months, I just totally destroy everything. I, I, I lose the trust. Um, what little trust I had from my family and from my in-laws and the people that loved me and cared about me unconditionally, you know, that, that, that cycle. And um, my aunt put me on the first thing smoking, flying out of Rochester international airport and sent me back to Arizona one way. She's like, you got to go back there. You can't stay here and continue to do this. So I came back to Arizona, got here in 2011. So you got kicked out for the second time. Second time, and you—they wanted you out there so bad. They flew you out first. First class, class. yeah. My, there. yeah, my, my aunt was like, "Let's just book you a flight and get you out of here." Yeah, you got to go, brother. Right. And so, you know, when we think about that, you know, um, and, and I've heard you speak. You know, I've had the privilege of hearing you speak multiple times. And you know, sometimes we can we have an hour to speak. Sometimes we got thirty minutes to speak. 
you know, and I'm going to wrap up part one at this point, you know, for all the podcast listeners all across the country and all over the world that listen to this podcast, I will usually will post the interviews that I do in two parts. Um, just for sake of time, man, just to give you the first part of it. I'm going to kind of close this one up here. I'm going to post the first part. The second one will be following you very soon. But my point is, is that the most important part is this part two that's going to be that's going to post next. The story, the transformation from when we met working a program. There's another prison sense involved and there was a prison sense for me involved in meeting back up with you and the miracles and the blessings and the promises and, and everything that's rained down is really what recovery is all about. So I encourage everyone definitely, definitely tune in for part two. It'll be posting in a couple days and I hope you really get to hear the message. You know, part one is all about qualifications, laying down the foundation. So ultimately you got the experience here. The strength is about to come and the most important is the hope. Because we're not, we're not anything special. And if we can do this and have the type of life that we live today, anybody could have that type of life. So tune in for part two.